Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. By means of introduction, the Holy Spirit is co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existence with God the Father and God the Son. Throughout the Scriptures, we see that God's Spirit has always been present. From Genesis chapter 1 all the way really to the final amen in the New Testament, we see God's Spirit is manifested throughout Scripture. But we also see that the Holy Spirit is God. As the tritheists say, the Holy Spirit is a God. No, we believe that the Holy Spirit is God, just like God the Father is God, just like God the Son is God. They are one God set up in three personages and in three distinctive manners. But in Romans chapter 8, we read about how God the Holy Spirit is life. We see that, that throughout Scripture that Jesus spoke about how the words I speak unto you, they are life. We see that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if Jesus is the life and the Holy Spirit is life, we understand that the Holy Spirit is God. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, Paul's writing to this church of Corinth. And in this chapter, we see that, that he writes about how the Holy Spirit has all knowledge. And in other words, the Holy Spirit is omniscient. We read about how God is omniscient. And if the Holy Spirit is described of being omniscient in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 10 through 12, then we understand that, that the Holy Spirit is God. In Job chapter 33 verse 4, we read about how the Holy Spirit is the all-powerful, omniscient Spirit of God. And if the Holy Spirit is omnipotent, all-powerful, then we understand that the Holy Spirit is God. In Psalm 137, that great psalm, where the Bible speaks about how if we lie down to sleep, if we make our bed in hell or here on this earth, wherever we go, God is present. And in the midst of that discussion in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, we read about how the Holy Spirit of God is also omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. And so if the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, we understand the Holy Spirit is also God. In Hebrews chapter number 9, verse 14, the writer of Hebrews speaks about the eternal Spirit of God. And so the Holy Spirit is eternal. So if the Holy Spirit is eternal, that means the Holy Spirit had no beginning and the Holy Spirit has no ending. The Holy Spirit was not created. The Holy Spirit has always been and always will be and always forever shall be God. In Matthew chapter number 20, excuse me, Matthew chapter 12, in Matthew's gospel, we read about how the Holy Spirit is really the holiness of God. You see, we see the Bible says God the Father. The Bible says God the Son. The Bible does not say God the Holy Father. The Bible does not say God the Holy Son. But what the Bible does say, it says God the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew chapter 12, we read about that. We read about that in Matthew 28, verse 19. We read about that in 1 John chapter 5, where it talks about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is holy. 
And the Holy Spirit, when He comes and resides in us, He makes us holy or more like God. In Galatians chapter 5, we read about how the Holy Spirit is love. How the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And if the Holy Spirit lives inside us, if God is love and the Holy Spirit is love and we are called to demonstrate that love, then we understand that we are full of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit lives inside us and is displaying the love of the Father. We read about in John's Gospel, chapter 14 and 15, how the Holy Spirit will guide us, not just a comforter, not just a guider, but He is the truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. In Acts chapter 5, in fact, the strongest case we can build that, in my mind, the clearest and strongest case that we can build upon the New Testament throughout all Scripture about how the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible says Ananias and Sapphira made a pledge, made a promise that they were going to sell everything that they had and give the money to the church to be distributed to all those who had need. And the Bible says that they were confronted by the apostles. And it says that they lied to God in one verse and the other verse it says they lied to the Holy Spirit in verses 3 and 4. And so that verse, these verses, this chapter literally reveals to us that, that the Holy Spirit is divine and is God and is full deity. And then in Matthew chapter 3, along with Matthew 28 and along with 1 John chapter 5 and many other verses, we read about how the Holy Spirit is part of the triune Godhead, the Trinity. And Matthew chapter 3, we've, we've talked about it before, but we see Jesus' baptism. We see God the Son present getting baptized. Then we see God the Father speaking and God the Holy Spirit descending down like a dove. We, three, we see three, the three personages of the Godhead, each functioning in their own distinctive manner, but all still the same God. With that in mind, there's a question that always gets asked about the Holy Spirit. What about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I mean, if we're going to talk about God the Father, if we're going to talk about God the Son, and we're going to really talk about the Holy Spirit, then what about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I don't know, maybe you can go on YouTube and you can Google this. You can literally see people trying their best to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Atheists are on YouTube and other people that are trying to defame God are trying to do it and commit this unpardonable sin, as we say. Can this be committed today? Well, we read about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in Matthew 12, Mark 3, and Luke 12. And the way I've come to understand it is like this. Here's what I wrote down. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit was attributing the works of Christ to being accomplished in the power of Satan. In Mark's gospel, we read in verse 30 how it talks about how it says, because they said he had an unclean spirit. So in other words, as other theologians have summarized the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, if you have received the full revelation of the Son of God and who he is, and you reject that, and you say that all of his works that he accomplished on this earth was done through the power of Beelzebub or the power of Satan, then you have, in a sense, committed the blast of the Holy Spirit. And, and in my mind, I believe that that specific sin was, was only committed in that 
period of time when Jesus was on this earth. However, the unpardonable sin of today is rejecting Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So if you have received the full revelation of the Son of God from the Word of God, and you conclude that He is not the Son of God, and He is not the Savior, He's not the Lord of your life, then you have committed the unpardonable sin. You've rejected and denied Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you die in that state, you'll be separated from God and punished for all eternity in eternal torments in a place called hell. Now, all that in mind, tonight I just want to reiterate the statement I've been sharing with you. That the Trinity is the most important aspect of theology, in my mind, because it contains the foundational truth of God and the Godhead. And here's what I, what I want to share with you. There is one and only one true and living God who is eternally existing and entirely expressed in three distinctive persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And tonight we're looking at the Holy Spirit. So what is the role of God, the Holy Spirit? Well, as I've shared with you in the past, five distinctive attributes or characteristics or roles of the Father and the Son. It is the same goal this evening. I want to share with you five roles of the Holy Spirit. And underneath these roles, I have three thoughts I want to relate to you about each of these roles. So the first one this evening is a very, very important concept and doctrine of the Scriptures. And that is this, the role of the Holy Spirit and inspiration. The role of the Holy Spirit and inspiration. If you got your Bibles, I want you to take them and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. If you, if you know anything about 2 Peter, then you know what verse I'm sharing with you. Now, while you're turning there, tonight we read Acts chapter 1. We read about how, how Jesus is there He's getting ready to ascend up into glory, and he says that, that once I'm gone, the Holy Spirit will come. And we read about that in Acts chapter 2, when the church was birthed, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells the believers. And tonight, it is not an exhaustive sermon about all the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, but the first thing we see, the first role of the Holy Spirit is inspiration. And in 2 Peter chapter number 1, verses 20 and 21, we read about this. And this is the statement I wrote down. God, the Holy Spirit, divinely revealed the words of Scripture. God, the Holy Spirit, divinely revealed the words of Holy Scripture. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 20 and 21, here's what the Bible says. It says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture. So going back to the Old Testament, Peter is an apostle, and he has in his mind, whenever these, these apostles and these writers of Scripture wrote down Scripture, they are literally referring to the Old Testament writings. And in the context, since he mentions prophecy, he's going back and speaking about, in my mind, he's speaking about Isaiah, he's speaking about Jeremiah, any of these prophets who spoke the Word of God, that God revealed His Word to them, and then He shared the Word of God. So it says, knowing this verse, that no privacy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. But then check it out now, verse 21. It says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost. This word moved, it literally means that God divinely gave His Word to these prophets through the agent of the Holy Spirit. 
that in some miraculous way, listen, the God that we, we serve is the God who spoke this world into existence. So if God did that, then surely God could reveal his word to his servants of old. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, that's the way God did it. And he did that throughout the New Testament writings with Paul and Peter and John and James and Jude and Matthew, Mark, Luke and Luke. We see that all just the way that God revealed his word to those prophets of old is the same way he revealed his word to the New Testament writers. This is the idea of revelation. So the Holy Spirit is involved in revelation. It's interesting in Acts chapter four in verses 24 and 25, we see, we see Peter's preaching and, and he references David and he references and speaks about how the Holy Spirit said by the mouth of David. So we understand that the early church believed that the words that they were reading in the Old Testament were the very words of God and that God revealed his word to those prophets. David is one. So God, the Holy Spirit, divinely revealed the words of Scripture. But now I want to share with you this. God, the Holy Spirit, divinely inspired the words of Scripture. God, the Holy Spirit, divinely inspired the words of Scripture. If you got your Bibles, take them and turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Paul is writing to this young man, Timothy, one that he mentored, and he recalls to his memory about how Timothy was, was, was he, how he grew up with his mother and grandmother and how they shared with him the very words of God. And he learned these words of Scripture from a child. But in verse 16 of 2 Timothy, the Bible says all Scripture. Now, if we pause right here, obviously the, the immediate context Paul's referring to the Old Testament writings that they believe to be Scripture. That is, from Genesis to Malachi. All of them, the minor prophets, the major prophets, the, the poetical books, uh, the, the, the historical books, the Torah, all of it. But then in, as we come to understand this in our context today, that it goes far beyond just the Old Testament. And now we understand that this is not just referring to the Old Testament, but also to the New Testament. And that all Scripture, Genesis to Malachi and Matthew to Revelation were inspired, where the Bible says, were given by inspiration of God. This word inspiration, it, the word inspire literally means God breathed. And if you could go back with me to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, and in those chapters we read about how God created mankind, and God breathed into them life. And the same way that God breathed into mankind life is the same way that God has breathed life into this book right here. Jesus spoke about how this book, the words that flew out of his mouth were spirit and truth and they had life in them. It's interesting. You could take the Bible and you can compare it to any other book in the world. And yes, it, it has words on a page just like any other book. But what's interesting, I find, I find it very interesting that the Bible is the number one best-selling book of all time, no questions asked, and it far, far exceeds any other book. But it's interesting. This book right here, I believe one of the reasons why it's divinely inspired is because of the way that it can change a man or a woman's life. I mean, this Bible right here is the only book you can take anywhere in the world and would cause controversy just by sitting there in the room. The Bible is amazing. The Bible is the very words of Scripture. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It says it's profitable 
For doctrine, that is a, a, a strong word for teaching. That is all the doctrine in the Word of God. That is every teaching from Genesis to Revelation. We see that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for that doctrine. It's, it's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction. And it's profitable for instructing us in righteousness. And, and it says here that the man of God, speaking about Timothy, how you, man of God, you may be perfect or complete and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so listen, the Bible is better than the novels of Harry Potter because, because listen, I'm not discrediting novels that have been written, but the reason why the Bible is better than, than the novel of Harry Potter is because Harry Potter, those words were not breathed by the Spirit of God. The Time Magazine or the, the, the Washington Post or any other newspaper or any articles that you might read online or in, in paper format do not compare to the Bible because they were not breathed by inspiration of God and the Spirit of God specifically. Listen, there's no other book on the planet that has sold more books. And to my understanding, there is no other article or written document that, that far exceeds People dedicating their life to translating this into other languages all over the world. Listen, I know that other books have been translated, but they don't compare to this book right here. The Bible is inspired. Every word. And so in, in the midst of inspiration, in the midst of revelation, we understand that because the Bible was inspired, that the Bible is also inerrant and infallible. That is, the Bible is without error. I know that mankind wrote the scriptures, but God moved them and inspired the words that they were writing. Now see, we believe in what's called the verbal plenary inspiration of the word of God. That, that God took these men over the course of 1600 years and, th and three continents and 40 different authors and, and, and gave them the words, but, uh, but allowed them to write it in their own distinctive way. That when Paul's writing, Paul was writing as he was being moved by the Holy Spirit. When Jeremiah was prophesying, he was prophesying in his own personality, in his own way, as he was being moved by the Holy Spirit. So when we understand inspiration, we know that it was a divine work that God took an individual and used them to do this divine work through the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, divinely inspired this words of Scripture and divinely revealed the words of Holy Scripture. But I'm telling you, the God that reveals and the God that inspires is also the God that preserves. And that leads me to this third thought. Is God, the Holy Spirit, divinely preserves the words of Scripture? God, the Holy Spirit, divinely preserves the words of Holy Scripture. If the Holy Spirit is involved in the revelation of God's Word, and if the Holy Spirit is involved in the inspiration of God's Word, then you have to conclude that the Holy Spirit is involved in the preservation of God's Word. In John chapter 14, it's interesting, this is the words of Jesus, mind you. In John chapter 14, verse 26, we read about Jesus. I believe he's referring to the preservation of the Word of God through the Spirit of God. And he says these powerful words in verse 26. He says, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and check it out, listen to this, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So in other words, Jesus is saying, all the words that I've shared with you, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to bring those words to your mind. In other words, God is going to use the Holy Spirit to preserve the words of the Son of God. And then in Psalm 12, we read David agrees. 
And he said, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace, purified seven times. The Bible says, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, there has been discussion about that, the word, like, the, thou shalt keep them. Does that, is that referring to the people of God or the Word of God? Hey, listen, whether it's referring to, to the people of God or the Word of God, you need to understand this, that God is going to preserve His people and His Word. And I am inclined to believe Psalm chapter 12 is referring to the very words of Scripture because it, it comes right after verse 6, speaking about the words of God. But then in Psalm 119, if this is not good enough for you, this one is. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. In other words, God says that my word is forever preserved and forever settled. It's, it's not going anywhere. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. God's word is here to stay. Now, I know that, that man has written the Bible. I know that fallible man has been used by God to write the infallible words of God. So if God can do everything that he's done, why would we limit God into not being able to preserve his word? Did you know just over the New Testament alone, we have over 500 manuscripts to support this document we call the New Testament? You know, the only thing that comes close, I believe it's the Homer's Iliad, and it doesn't even have 200 manuscripts. That is the original manuscripts. So we have over 5,000 original, I'm speaking original manuscripts that you can go back and you can see on the papyrus that they wrote, and this right here, 5,000 of them just the New Testament. Listen, God has preserved his word. And today, listen, we have, we have God's word in our English language. And so God, God, if he, can, if he can inspire, if he can reveal and he can preserve, then don't you think that God could, could, could supernaturally, in a way, give people the wisdom and knowledge and ability to take God's word in, from Hebrew and Aramaic and from Greek and, and translate it into another language? Now, I'm not going to necessarily um, liken this book right here as the, I'm not going to necessarily say that the King James has been, in a sense, inspired in the same way that, 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 that Paul is referring to in, in 2 Timothy. But I will say this, let me say this, that if God inspired those original writers in the original autographs and breathed his words into there, and he revealed that word to them, and God has taken his word and preserved that inspired writing, then I can honestly say that I am holding in my hand the preserved, inspired, and errant, infallible words of Scripture. So God the Holy Spirit is involved in inspiration. And because of the Holy Spirit's work, we have God's word in our English tongue. And we should thank God that we are part of the millions on this earth that have God's word and not part of the 250 million that do not have a copy or even a verse of the Bible translated in their language. So we've looked so far about the role of the Holy Spirit in inspiration, but now let's move forward. I wrote down, secondly, the role of the Holy Spirit and salvation. The role of the Holy Spirit in salvation. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit's role in inspiration? Well, we've looked at that. Now, what is the Holy Spirit's role in salvation? Well, if you got your Bibles there, take them and turn to John chapter 16. In John chapter 16, I wrote down this thought about the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit brings conviction to the heart of man. God the Holy Spirit brings conviction to the heart of man. John 16, in verses 7 through 11, the Bible says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. Take note of that phrase right there, but let's keep reading. And of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Zoom in on verse number eight. The Bible says that when he has come, speaking about the Holy Spirit, the Bible says he will reprove the world of sin. When you study this word, it literally means to convince and to convict somebody of their sin. So the Holy Spirit's job, listen, it's not my job to convict you about the sin in your life or you. It's not your job to convict me of the sin of my life. Our job is to proclaim, to herald forth the word of God and let the Holy Spirit do his work. And that is convicting the heart of man. I'm thankful that years ago, the Holy Spirit convicted my soul and that I realized that I needed a savior. And I bowed my knee and confessed my, uh, with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And there was a time in your life when, when the Holy Spirit convicted you. I'm talking about soul-searching conviction. You know, the kind that you're standing, on the invita- standing at the invitation, you're gripping the back of that pew, and you can't do anything but cry out to God. That's the kind of conviction the Holy Spirit will bring upon you that you can't do anything but cry out to God for mercy and salvation. And in John's Gospel right here, we see that. Now, God has given us all a conscience. And if we continue to rebel against God's written word in our hearts that is our conscience, then over time that conscience will be seared. But God the Holy Spirit has a way of still convicting our conscience. I'm afraid that our world has a seared conscience. I'm afraid America has a seared conscience. I'm afraid that the nations all across this globe have a seared conscience and it's time that we get back to some Holy Ghost conviction about ourselves and let God's word speak to us and let the Holy Spirit do his work of convicting our souls. But check it out now. Once the Holy Spirit convicts us, then I believe the Holy Spirit regenerates us. So I wrote down secondly, underneath the Holy Spirit's role in salvation. God, the Holy Spirit, brings regeneration to the heart of man. God, the Holy Spirit, brings regeneration to the heart of man. If you got your Bibles, turn to John 3. And John 3, you know the story. You could probably tell it better than I can. But Jesus meets a man by the name of Nicodemus. And Jesus says, except a man be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And he began to question him. What does this mean? Does this mean I have to go back into my mother's belly and come out again? And and he says, no, you got to be born of the water. And check it out now, of the spirit. And if you are not born of the spirit, you cannot enter to the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, ye must be born again. He says, we all have to be born again, or we will not be born from above and live eternally with God in heaven. But I want you to know this, that when the Holy Spirit comes inside, after the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, the Holy Spirit is the one that regenerates your soul and makes you a new creature in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes, convicts and regenerates, and then the Holy Spirit indwells us and comes to reside in us. And that's why Paul said that we are the building of God. I'll tell you, this this unique season in life has given us a greater appreciation of assembling together and just worshiping within a building. Now, we know that the building I'm standing in, the building that that some of the ones here are sitting in, this this is not the church, but it's a place the church gathers together and worships corporately. 
But in Paul's writing of the church of Corinth, he says that you are God's building. That is, when the Holy Spirit regenerates you and comes and dwells you, you become the house of God because the Spirit of God has made you the temple of God. And we read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And that's why it's important that we live a holy life. And we'll talk about that in a little bit later. But God the Holy Spirit comes and dwells us and we are, the, we are the temple of God. And so should we defile this temple that the Holy Spirit's living in? No. We should live righteous lives that please God. Almighty God in every way, shape, and form. And that is when we sin in thought, when we sin in word, and we sin in deed, we confess it, and we do our best to give it over to God and let Him cleanse us from it. But then check it out now. The Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit regenerates, but then what else? The Holy Spirit preserves. We already talked about that with His word and briefly spoke about it with His people. But I read, I read somebody said like this, God the Father elects, God the Son redeems, but God the Holy Spirit seals. And that's what the Holy Spirit does, is the Holy Spirit seals us. So check it out now, I wrote down this, thirdly, about the Holy Spirit's role in salvation. God the Holy Spirit brings preservation to the heart of man. God the Holy Spirit brings preservation to the heart of man. In Ephesians chapter 1 and in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says, that the Holy Spirit seals us unto the day of redemption. Baptists call it the security of the believer. Others have called it the preservation of the saints. However you want to label it, and sometimes people mean different things by those things, we need to understand this, that when the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells you, He comes to stay, He doesn't come to leave. And so this word seal, it gives this idea that that the seal of, 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 an, of a ruler of a, of a nation would, would take his seal. It was, it was a melted piece of wax that would use and put it in ink and then place that on a document, a letter, to, to let the receiver know that it was from the specific person. And so how do we know that the Holy Spirit is from God? Well, because the Holy Spirit is the seal of God in the life of the believer. And so if you have the Holy Spirit... You're part of the family of God. And I'm thankful today that the Holy Spirit comes and, and stays till we pass away and go and, and, and see God in full glory and splendor. So we've looked so far about the Holy Spirit's role in salvation, the Holy Spirit's role in inspiration, but now I want to talk to you about what is the Holy Spirit's role in sanctification. So I wrote down this, the role of the Holy Spirit and sanctification. Sanctification is an interesting and intriguing doctrine found in the very words of Scripture. And we see the word sanctified. We've seen the word sanctify. And we see the word sanctification mentioned throughout the English Bible. And this word sanctified literally means to be made holy. And so I wrote down three thoughts about sanctification and about the Holy Spirit's role in sanctification I want to share with you. The first one is this. God the Holy Spirit positionally sanctifies the believer. God the Holy Spirit positionally sanctifies the believer. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 8 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 speaks about the Holy Spirit, speaks about a lot, and it speaks about sanctification. I'll read verse 29. It says, For whom he did for... Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I, that I know every single aspect about this verse, okay? 
I'm still trying to figure some of these things out. But, but I will say this, that the Holy Spirit's job is to sanctify and conform us more to the image of Jesus Christ. So here it says, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. So every child of God has been predestinated to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So when God saves us, he saves us so that we can be more like Jesus Christ. And in that moment, in that moment, we believe that we, when we instantly get saved, in that specific moment, we are positionally sanctified. That is, when God looks at us, he sees himself, he sees his son, and he sees a regenerated child of God. And so we are made holy because God has declared us to be holy. And then, and Paul also talks about this in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 11, we read that in, in, in a few verses prior, the Bible speaks about how, how it says that, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he lists out all these sinners like fornicators and idolaters and adulterers and effeminate and abusers of them of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then in verse number 11, I love this verse because he says, and such were some of you, but you are washed. That is the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed these believers in Corinth. And it says, but you are sanctified. That is, God has stepped into your life and declared you to be holy and made you positionally holy in his eyes. And it says, justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by, check it out now, by the Spirit of our God. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the sealer and he's the sanctifier. But then, and then I also wrote on this, God the Holy Spirit not only positionally sanctifies us, but I wrote on this, God the Holy Spirit experientially sanctifies the believer. God the Holy Spirit experientially sanctifies the believer. In other words, there's a, a process here. Now, th there are people who, 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 who try to, who, who have discussed this and, and, and maybe even some that disagree with this, but I will say this, that, that throughout my Christian life, I'm not who I once was, but I'm not who I want to be. Does that make sense? Like, like Jesus saved me and I'm made holy in his eyes, but throughout the rest of my Christian life, we are called to be walking closer with Jesus. And if we're not walking closer, then we're either going to be stagnant or we're going to be walking further away from Jesus. And we want to be walking closer. We want, to the, we want the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and conform us each day more and more like Jesus. Remember what Paul said? He said, he said in Romans chapter 12, he said, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may, be, that you may prove what is that holy and acceptable and perfect will of God. And... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. We see that Paul speaks about the role of sanctification and fornication. That is sexual immorality. That is, when we come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, we are all tempted in that way, at some way, shape, or form. But here the Bible says that when we come to know Christ as Savior, even the believers in Thessalonica, we have reason to believe that these were good, godly people, but Paul might be calling some of them out because they were, they were practicing in, in, in sexual sins. And here, the Bible speaks about this, and basically, I believe it's saying this, that, hey, you come to know Christ as Savior, and you're instantly made holy, but then there's a process where God is going to make you more like 
the Son of God. And it's all through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all through the Holy Spirit. Remember what Peter said? He said, be holy, for I am holy. Quoting back to the Old Testament law. So the Holy Spirit is the only one of the triune God that's called holy. That is, it's separate from the Father, separate from the Son. And God has declared us separate from the world, but then when we are saved, we seek to become more holy or more like Jesus Christ every day. So positionally, experientially, but then ultimately. There will come a day when we are ultimately sanctified. So I wrote down this, thirdly. God, the Holy Spirit, ultimately sanctifies the believer. So there will come a day in your life when you will cease to exist. Whether you go up in the rapture or whether you go through the process of death, one or the other, you will one day, through that process, ultimately be fully sanctified. That is, you'll, in a sense, be glorified. That is, you'll be in the very presence of God. Those He justified, those He also glorified, and those He also glorified. So in a sense, in one aspect, we're already glorified. We are already glorified because we're going to heaven, but we are not there yet. So when we get there, we'll be able to see Jesus in His full glory. And we'll be ultimately, fully, completely sanctified to be able to be in the full splendor presence of Almighty God. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit has a lot to do. Sanctifies us, saves us, inspires the Word. But now we have the Word of God. We've been saved. Now we're being, we are seeking to be more conformed to the image of Christ. But now what? So here's what leads me to this fourth thought. The role of the Holy Spirit and illumination. Illumination. Say that with me. Illumination. Say it again. Illumination. This, this word gives the idea, maybe you've heard a preacher pray or preach and talk about how the Holy Spirit illuminates our understanding of God's word. In other words, the Holy Spirit's job is to step in and to make these words known in our mind. I want you to know this, that the world, an unregenerated person, cannot understand the word of God in its transformed state. Now, sure, somebody might be able to uh, read God's Word from a non-saved position or an unsaved position, but they will not understand the Word of God like a saved child of God. And the Bible says that. The Bible talks about how, how the book right here that we're holding in our hand, the preaching of the cross, it's foolishness in the eyes of God, and the natural man does not receive, or in a sense, understand God's Word. They might be able to understand the information that's presented, but they will not understand the transformation power that the Word of God contains. And so check it out now. Here's what I wrote down. The first thought from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I wrote on God the Holy Spirit enables man to be, uh, to be able to understand the Word of God. God the Holy Spirit enables man to be able to understand the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verses 9 through 14, the Bible says these words. But it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them, check it out, listen to the verse, unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, 
save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can they know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Here in this verse, the Bible clearly reveals to us that it's the Holy Spirit's role to enable us as a child of God to be able to understand the Word of God. So in other words, I believe that maybe some of you have sunglasses that you wear as you get in your car and it's a really sunny day. I know today's not a sunny day, but if you put your sunglasses on, it will help to be able to better see when the sun is really bright. Maybe you wear glasses or wear your contacts. I have my contacts in, and so I can see clearer because the contacts are in my eyes or if I'm wearing my glasses. So in other words, the Holy Spirit comes, and He makes the, the foggy, hazy Word of God clear in our minds. But He does not do that for the unregenerated person. So he enables us to be able to understand. But then check it out. Now, I believe he enlightens us. So here's what I wrote down secondly. God, the Holy Spirit, enlightens man to be able to understand the word of God. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 18? He said, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. John 14, Jesus we kind of referred to this passage before uh, maybe a couple times, but it's because it, in Jesus' presentation to the disciples, he talks about the Holy Spirit so much. And in John 14, verses 16 and 17, the Bible says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Obviously, we know that to be the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is who comforts us. You know, somebody might say, Well, when my loved one passes away, where is God? Well, through the Holy Spirit, He's there to comfort you. Through the Word of God also. But He says, That you, that He may abide with you forever. And then it says, Even the Spirit of truth. God's Spirit is truth. And He is the one who enlightens us of that truth in our lives. It says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, nor knoweth Him. But ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Then, the Bible also says this in verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. In other words, he's going to step into your life, not only give you the, the, the ability to be able to understand, but give you the enlightenment of the very words of Scripture and the meaning thereof. So do I need the set of... of I'll pick on myself. Do I need the set of John MacArthur's commentary series? Or do I need the, the set of Warren Wiersbe's commentary series? Do I need the set of the Bible knowledge commentary series to be able to understand God's Word? No, it might be helpful. But what I need is I need the Holy Spirit to enlighten me about the Word of God. Now, God might have, have blessed certain men over the years with great knowledge and understanding of God's Word, but, but that does not replace the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer in understanding God's Word. 
It says, and check it out now, he'll be able to bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. But then, in John's Gospel, chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus says this. He says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall speak of himself, but whatsoever you shall hear, he shall hear, excuse me, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive from mine and shall show it unto you. So we see the Holy Spirit enables and the Holy Spirit enlightens us of the very words of Scripture. So whenever we open up God's Word, when we're saved, instantly God has enabled us to be able to understand it. But then as a child of God, as we go and read and study and go deeper into God's Word, we should constantly be saying, Hey God, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, please give me a greater understanding and comprehension of your Word. And He'll do that. But then I also wrote on this, God, the Holy Spirit, equips man to be able to live out the Word of God. If God enables man and enlightens man, God can equip man to be able to live out the Word of God. So check it out. If, if we say that God's Word is full of information, but if we don't take that information, and it is full of a whole lot of historical information, but if we do not take these historical words and apply them to our lives, then transformation will not take place. So if you read the Bible every day and you don't seek to apply it to your life, well, then you are not doing a good thing. So let's say you read the Reader's Digest every single day, and the Reader's Digest says to drink eight cups of water every day. But you decide, I'm only going to drink one cup a day of water and two cups of coffee and three cups of Coca-Cola. Well, you are not applying the Reader's Digest to your life. And we do the same thing with God's Word. God's Word says to do this, and we understand that information, but then it, it has to go the next step and be applied to our lives. And that's the Holy Spirit's role in illumination. We've seen so far sanctification, salvation, and inspiration. But now I want to share with you, lastly, this evening, what is the Holy Spirit's role in supplication or prayer? So I wrote down the role of the Holy Spirit in supplication. So just very briefly, let's run through these. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27, I wrote down this, God the Holy Spirit helps believers pray when they are unable to pray to God. The Bible speaks about these groanings which can't be uttered. There's times in our lives when we experience trials that, that are just that we don't even fathom. And we have no words to say. Things in your life, things in my life. We, we've been there. We've been in that position in our prayer life where we would go to pray and we had nothing to say because we didn't know what to pray. And that's when the Holy Spirit helps us and begins to pray for us. As Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verses 26 through 27. Likewise, the Holy Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered and he searches the hearts and he that searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God so the Holy Spirit is abiding in us and when we have no clue what to pray when we know we need to be praying the Holy Spirit helps us in our inability but then I wrote down this God the Holy Spirit helps believers to enjoy living in communion with God 
Ephesians chapter 6 speaks about the armor of God. But it says in verse number 18, praying with all supplication in the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Let me read it to you. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. In other words, the Bible talks about here praying in the Spirit. Now, I, I'm not going to sit here and just say that I know exactly what all that means, but, but let, me, let me explain it to you this way. God the, Holy Spirit's, God the Holy Spirit excuse me, helps believers to enjoy living in communion with God. So praying in the Spirit, I believe it, 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 it perhaps means this. I would argue it means abiding and living in complete communion with God. And when we're praying, when we're reading, and we're speaking to God and just living that lifestyle of prayer, like Paul said, pray without ceasing. Here I believe we can pray in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helps us to do that so that we could be in fellowship and communion with God. And the presence of God is what we want. And the Holy Spirit helps us do that. But then I wrote down this as I read Jude chapter 1, verse 20. God, the Holy Spirit, helps believers plead with holy boldness to God. God, the Holy Spirit, helps believers to plead with holy boldness to God. You know, if God is omniscient and knows everything that's going to happen, he knows everything about the past, knows everything about the future. Why should I even pray? Well, God has commanded us to. God delights in His people praying. God's foreknowledge, He sees from eternity past to eternity future, and He knows everything about my life. And in a sense, what's going to happen is going to happen. So why should I even ask God to help me for when what is going to happen, happens. Well, because God delights in His people communing with Him in prayer. L listen to these words that Jude wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. He says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. God commands us to pray and you know, I'm not going to go as far to say like Jerry Falwell when he stood up and preached and he said when somebody was sick and they, were, they declared a church-wide fast and they prayed and they said, we're going to change God's mind. I'm not going to, going to step into that realm and, and speak to, to say that, that when we pray with Holy Spirit boldness, we can change God's mind. I'm not going to sit here and say that, but I am going to say this, that when we are obedient to God's word, God will bless our prayers and will answer our prayers. And so listen. The only prayer that goes unanswered is the prayer that never gets prayed. And so God wants us to pray, and His Holy Spirit gives us the boldness to pray, gives us the ability to commune with God in prayer, and helps us pray when we don't know what to say. So I know we've looked at a lot this evening. We've looked at the Holy Spirit's role in supplication or prayer, illumination, helping us understand sanctification, helping us be more conformed and more like Jesus, and salvation, how He redeems us and saves us, and inspiration, how He breathed, breathed His life into these words that we're holding. I know we've looked at the Father, we've looked at the Son, but I believe, as I've shared before, that the more we study Scripture, the more we understand theology or the doctrine of God, the more we understand 
pneumatology or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the more we understand Christology, the doctrine of Jesus, and the more we understand patriology, the doctrine of God the Father, the more we should lift up our hearts, lift up our adoration and worship to God and praise and worship to Him. I like what, what a modern songwriter said. He said, we believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And He's coming back again. I like what Chris Tomlin said. He said these words. And age to age He stands. And time is in His hands. Beginning and the end. The Godhead. Three in one. Father, Spirit, Son. The Lion and the Lamb. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Tonight, my brothers and sisters, we understand that the Holy Spirit is co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. That there is one and only one true and living God who is eternally existing and entirely expressed and three distinctive persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.